Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. I am with my friend and conversation partner, Nikki V. Nico Nicholas. And we're here again to answer your questions, the ones that you have written into the show. So, you ready to go? I am, except for that New York Yankees cap, which is causing me to stumble. Once again. You don't want your brother to stumble now. No, I don't, but there is something in the New Testament about not using your sensitive conscience, your weak (laughs) conscience, to disrupt the freedom of the stronger (laughs) brother who has a stronger conscience. Now, that's in there too, my friend. I'll defer to the stronger. All right, here we go. The question is, I've been reading an author who talks about relational Christianity, and he believes that meetings are bad and a hindrance to the church being the church. I've read your book, Reimagining Church, and his idea seems to contradict what you teach. What do you say about this view of meetings? Well, first, I am pleased to see that you understand the book Reimagining Church because I have a whole section on the meetings or the gatherings of the church. And the meetings of the ecclesia, the believing community, in the New Testament are hugely significant, spiritually essential, part of the heart and fabric of the body of Christ. So much so that the word ecclesia, which is the word that's poorly translated church in most of our English Bibles, but the word ecclesia actually means a meeting or a gathering or an assembly. And one of the things that we're struck with when we open up the book of Acts is that when the Holy Spirit came into the believers on the day of Pentecost, the first instinct they had was to meet, to gather, to assemble, and to do it regularly. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into a a human being, that spirit gives us an instinct and an impulse to gather with other believers. And it's not just one kind of gathering. It's all sorts of gatherings. There's gatherings for prayer. There's gatherings for open participatory expressions of Jesus Christ in and through one another. There's gatherings for ministry. There's gatherings for hearing ministry. So this idea that meetings are bad, I don't even know where that comes from. The only thing I can think of is that maybe it's a reaction to the general emphasis of institutional, traditional Christianity, which emphasizes a once or twice a week ritual that you go through, where you basically listen to preaching, have some singing, and then you leave and you live your individual life. And there's very little in most expressions like that, not all folks, but in many expressions like that, if not most, there's very little doing life together among Mm -hmm. the members, that it's hardly any community. But to say then that because community is important and we lack it in traditional Christianity, that means meetings are bad and we shouldn't have gatherings and we shouldn't assemble on a regular basis is, to my mind, not only unscriptural, but it's, it's silly. 
I don't see how you can come up with that conclusion. Yeah. It it sounds very reactionary, um, and I can I can even make make an allowance for let's say you're coming from some type of background where you know all you know is meetings that's that's your entire experience of the church consists of some type of a church meeting gathering right and you you have this understanding or this insight or this revelation that the church is a body and a family and it's much more than Mm -hmm. than just a meeting there might be some wisdom in having a moratorium on the type of meetings you've been having in hopes of exercising some other corporate muscles and having life together. Mm-hmm. But I would say if you were going to do that, it would it ought to be pres- a prescribed amount of time and, mm-hmm. and that you're going to kind of resume some type of a, of a gathering. But, you know, just on the same vein here, the church, the ecclesia, is not a meeting. Mm-hmm. But she does meet. Absolutely. She's not meeting-centered. Mm-hmm. She's Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. She's not dependent on her meetings for life, for her sustenance, for her existence. But she does have meetings to vent and give expression to the Christ mm-hmm. that she is knowing and touching and experiencing outside of those intentional meetings that they're having together. Mm-hmm. So. Again, this is kind of comes back to the word of God, word of God argument. It's another false dichotomy. You can meet and not be meeting centered. Um, so I think it's all a matter of, of um, you know, being part of a healthy Christian community. I would say that it would be virtually impossible to have a healthy Christian community who doesn't have meetings. Absolutely. I mean, what you end up with is an amorphous, non-existent body that cannot be visibly seen, visited, witnessed to. If, for example, you were living in the city of Thessalonica in 52 AD, you would be able to witness Jesus Christ in that city by attending a gathering of the saints in Thessalonica. Now, here's the thing. They probably had meetings of all different kinds. I've been someone, and I know you have as well, who has been part of various different fellowships over the decades that did not meet in a traditional or institutional way. And the kinds of varieties of meetings that we had in those communities, you know, just about every kind of gathering known to man or beast, endless variety over the years, but still having that community life where we're doing things together, helping one another during the week, life on life. Uh, so it's not just those those meetings that we come together as the body of Christ to express the Lord in some unique way, but it's it's the life together. But I think I think what tends to happen is that people who kind of fall into this meetings are bad mindset, they're not part of any kind of expression in most cases, but has a gathering to which a person can visit and actually see the body on display. You know what I mean? Like right now, we're sitting in a room in Jacksonville, Florida, it's you and me. Some people who adopt this mindset where this question is coming from would say, we're having church right now. Well, this is just two believers right. <laughs> fellowshipping around the Lord. Is the Lord with us? I believe so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's the question, are we having church, right? 
this is not the ecclesia. We're two members of the body of Christ, and we live in different cities, so we're not part of the same local expression. We're part of the body of Christ. Right. We're in Christ. But this is not, quote-unquote, church, folks. And when you talk on the phone to another believer or you meet somebody from out of town, you're not having church in the New Testament sense of the word. The assembling together, as Hebrews puts it, and all of the letters that Paul wrote and Peter wrote and James wrote, etc., those were written to bodies of believers in a locale that came together on a regular basis, knew one another, and you can actually visit them. They were locatable. And they may have met around the city in different mm -hmm. places. Yeah. But it wasn't this out-of-reach, amorphous entity that had no shape to it. And I think there's a danger, you know, just like there's a danger in not having community and just being meeting-centered or gathering-centered, there's also a danger in not having any kind of visible expression of the body of Christ coming together to meet and to do what the Lord has called us to do in those meetings, which is to express Christ by the ever-member functioning of his body. Yeah, um, and I'll just offer a little anecdote here. I have a friend who is a very talented, gifted minister, and um, at the same time very hungry for some type of a corporate body life community experience, and has attempted in the state that he lives in several times to have a gathering of people who are going to live life out together a little bit, and uh, meet together and all of that and invariably in his experience what happens when they have a quote meeting unquote is everybody's quiet mm. and waiting for him to share because he is a very gifted speaker and he can articulate a lot of thoughts and he's written books etc etc and so there's this kind of default thing that happens it's the default setting that mm. most of us come with which is, I don't have anything to offer. Hopefully someone else in the room does. And if anybody's showing any propensity towards talking and doing it well, then we're all just going to shut up and listen to them. And this brother related to me repeatedly his frustration with that dynamic because it was the very dynamic that he was trying to get away from. And so inevitably, uh, several times over, what happened was, after getting tired of this dynamic existing, um, he simply dissolved the gathering. This would be somebody who might be sympathetic to the idea that meetings are bad and we just need to have relational Christianity where we're getting together, you know, eating meals together or hanging out at somebody's house because it makes it impossible for that default setting to manifest where we're all going to sit around silently while somebody, you know, preaches a message to us. So I think possibly some of this type of a question could be coming from those type of experiences mm. as well. But the answer to that dilemma is to not not have meetings. Uh, the answer is how do you equip the members of a local ecclesia to be able to function in a gathering so that that gathering has a chance, has a possibility of operating under the headship of Jesus Christ with all the members manifesting the various aspects and giftings that they have so that you kind of have this collective yep. pile of Jesus Christ being expressed rather than just one person. And I think a lot of times people who are down on the whole meeting thing are people 
who have no experience of gathering under the headship of Christ, of corporate life together and living in mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And so they start out having a meeting or they try to have a meeting at some point, even if they're being relational prior to that. And it turns into kind of a mini traditional dynamic of, you know, one speaker and a lot of mute listeners. And so they write off the meeting part of it. But that's not the answer. The answer is how, how, do, how does this happen? How, where do I find the experience? And how do I equip other people to be able to walk into that experience? No, I agree with every word there you shared and have stated so elsewhere. I would just say this too, in addition to that, I often find that people who are in that situation that you described with this gifted person who is frustrated that everybody's looking to him, very few of those people, number one, will seek out an answer to the question by those who actually, through experience, know how to answer the question. Because there is an answer to that, as you yes, said. Right. But the answer is it requires some radical decisions that oftentimes the person who's in that position is not willing to take the steps required in order for that dynamic to change. Because it's not something within his own power to pull off. He needs someone else to help him. Yes. And, and that's where the rubber meets the road. We can be frustrated all day long, but until we get to the place where we say, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And if someone does have experience that can help me with this and it can point me toward the way or lead me toward the way or be part of the way, I'm willing to take it. And that requires a lot of humility. Mm-hmm. It requires surrender. It requires yep. letting go. But to say it's all about hanging out at Starbucks or having breakfast together whenever we want or whenever we get the urge to because meetings and gatherings are bad. It's just a total distortion of how the New Testament functions, how the body of Christ functions, all the instincts and impulses that are native to the body of Christ. So yeah, we can, I mean, we could talk a lot more about that and it's been addressed elsewhere, but I do appreciate the question. The next question, which is related to the previous question we just covered is what is it that makes someone a church member and are any of our church membership practices, covenants, oaths, membership classes, etc., hindering the kingdom or family understanding of church? There's actually two questions in here, and the short answer is yes. Um, well, imagine this. So let me just address this part of the question about, um, you know, are, are these church membership practices, covenants, oaths, membership classes, hindering the kingdom or family understanding of the church? So let me start off with, I don't care if you have covenants or oaths or membership classes, if that's something that you want to participate in and be a part of, have at it. Um... But if we use the analogy of the family that this person raised in the question is, I'm just wondering how many of you sat in membership classes to be a part of the family that you were born into. That's a really odd notion. Um, There's not very much that's natural about it. All of the learning how to be a member of your family, assuming that you had a family to be a member of and it wasn't too dysfunctional, you learned along the way. You picked up on the fly by being a part of the family and just moving forward with the family. So, you know, my preference is to, to, to free wheel it on that level of um, how, how do we know if somebody's a part of us? Well, see, 
in the first century didn't have that problem because the the temperature was turned up so hot in the first century that people who were a part of the ecclesia, if they weren't totally given over, simply didn't remain in it. The, 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 the price was too high. Mm-hmm. And part of the dilemma that we have today is that you can be a part of a quote-unquote church situation and be a church member and have virtually no cost attached to that whatsoever other than to perhaps agreeing to some type of a, a list of of important bullet points that that the leadership of that church values or signing some kind of a of a document that's not much of a price to pay yeah um there's no there's no cost to to doing that stuff so the question kind of is isolated to the time frame that we're living in as opposed to the more ideal situation that we see in the new testament where people became a part of the family they didn't sign anything. They didn't take any oaths or covenants. What you knew was a couple things. Members of the family started bearing the fruit of the family, mm. which was a reflective of the head of, of that family, which, of course, was Jesus. Mm. Um, so that would certainly be probably the, the best way to tell whether somebody was actually in, uh, locked into the family in, in terms of trying to assess that. And you know, uh, what we're talking about here in this question, a lot of church leadership people have put into effect because they're trying to affect a uh, taking a shortcut to unity. Rather than finding their unity in Christ, they're finding unity in some type of a mental agreement. Um, that's a shortcut. And you all know if you've ever been a part of a situation like that, it doesn't work. You can have everybody sign the documents. Yeah. You can have everybody make the confessions verbally. You can have everybody attend the membership classes. You're still going to have problems. And as someone that I used to know used to say, these kinds of things were invented so that the eldership could get to bed at a reasonable hour rather than put fires out. But even with all that in place, it still doesn't work. I would generally agree with that. I would say, in addition, the first part of the question is, what is it that makes someone a church member? And I have to ask a question to that question, and that is, what kind of church are you talking about? Now, if you're talking about an institutional, traditional church that's led by a pastor or a group of elders, the answer to that question is it depends on what the pastor or the elder board has set for the requirements for membership. And my feeling, Nick, is that, you know, if someone attends First Baptist Church of wherever or First Methodist of wherever or the non-denominational church down the street or the mega church around the block, and you want to be part of that, and you want to be a full-fledged member, then I would say you do whatever it is that they're asking you to do to be a member, if that's where you want to be, right? If you feel God has led you to that place. If, on the other hand, the question is, how did they do it in the first century? Or how should a church that's operating according to the impulses of the body of Christ as we see envisioned in the New Testament, membership was very simple. You were born into the kingdom of God, and the pledge of that birth, the mark of that birth, was you were taken to water and you were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. You were, in effect, dying to your old life. You were breaking loyalty oaths to the world system, and you were entering into a brand new family, a new civilization, a new kingdom. And that was it. There was nothing you signed the confession came at the baptism. That's where you declared that Jesus was Lord, Lord of the world and Lord of your life. 
and all of the things that you said about being a member of a family. You know, you're born into the family, and then you, you bear the marks of it by how you live. And so the question really depends on what you mean by church. What church are we talking about? Then when he talks about covenants and oaths and membership classes, does it hinder the kingdom or family understanding of church? I'm not sure about hindering the kingdom. I really can't answer that question because I don't know enough about how these things work. I've not been a part of any church throughout the years. I never signed an oath. I never was part of a membership class or did a covenant or anything, so I can't even speak to that. But I do think that it does take away from the family understanding of church if you have to do something to be part of the family. I bought a Honda seven years ago, Honda automobile, and because I bought the Honda that I was then brought into the Honda family. And they used Welcome. language. Welcome. Welcome to the Honda family. You're part of the Honda family, so you get free car washes. Uh, never used one, to my recollection. But because I bought the car, I was part of the Honda family. So it really depends on what organization you're talking about and what, what regulations and rules they have set up. And I would just say, if you feel the Lord has led you to a particular kind of church, particular expression of church and you want to be part of that full-fledged go ahead and go with what your conscience tells you and if they want you to go to a membership class i have no objection to that yeah well and then in connection to you know this podcast and and the book insurgents if if we're really practicing the gospel of the kingdom a lot of what you're asking in this question really is rendered null and void and mute because the gospel of the kingdom simply swallows up so much of what we wrestle with today because mm -hmm. of its consuming nature. And as I said earlier, the temperature gets turned up so hot. And like Frank was saying, you would make a public confession at baptism. Well, today that, that doesn't speak to us just off the top because we could go and do that. But in the first century, for many, many of those people, they could lose their life shortly after doing that. Well, that was their funeral, literally. Exactly. And it's supposed to be that way today, right. too. So the temperature was turned up. So that eliminated a lot of, you know, the the issues that we are wrestling with today. So it does depend on what type of church you're talking about. But the kingdom really does just supersede and swallow up so many of these questions that, mm. um, you know, that we all find ourselves wrestling with today. And this would be an example of one of those questions that I think would kind of evaporate in yeah. the presence of yeah. an active, vibrant gospel of the kingdom being lived out, you know, by people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true because I have been privileged to be part of several kingdom communities that were living out the life of the kingdom. We didn't have the full language that I have today to describe it, but that's in effect what we were doing. And the question of who's a member and how do you become a member, I mean, that never came up. We were baptized, and that was it. We were in, you know, yeah. in Christ, in the body, in the kingdom community, you know? Yeah, because the nature of community is so consuming that it just becomes readily apparent mm -hmm. who's in and who's not in. That's right on. And this brings us to the subject we all have wanted to stay away from, and that is, what do we do with the peripherals? <laughs> <laughs> Call me Satan. Call me an antichrist. Call me a devil worshiper. Call me a heretic. But do not call me peripheral. 
It's the worst insult we have in the kingdom of God that can be uttered. Peripheral. And he was thrown into the lake of the peripherals. <laughs> I'll take hell any day over that. Oh my. All right, I'll read the next question. What does kingdom growth look like in the area of worship with each other and in our hearts toward God? Ephesians 5.19. I would also appreciate insight on the role of creative expression in the kingdom. All right, so we've got two questions here. Let me read Ephesians 5.19. Your listeners are very good at maximizing their multiple questions within one question. Yes. Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And the next verse, verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so this passage here that Paul speaks in concerning psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he precedes that by saying, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then the next line is speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which I don't think is an accident because one of the ways we fill ourselves with the Spirit is through worshiping God and praising God through song. Now, when it comes to what does it look like, well, again, it's like meetings. The variety is endless. There's all different ways to sing to the Lord. There's all different ways to sing to one another. Some of the most creative expressions of singing, either through singing songs of praise or singing songs of worship, have been in very organic corporate expressions of the body of Christ that were watered in this area of creativity and, and cut loose to experiment. Where, say, in institutional Christianity, the singing, the worship is all pretty much the same. And it's kind of like an echo chamber. They all pick up from one another, especially in the charismatic world. So there's very little variance. But in the world that you and I have been in over the years, the creativity is just off the chart. Mm -hmm. But I guess I would say that worship is much broader than singing songs, whether praise songs or worship songs, whatever you want to call them. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is is a passage all about worship. I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So Paul there is defining worship for us to be the offering of our bodies to Jesus Christ, the offering of ourselves individually and corporately on a corporate altar, on an individual altar, giving our whole life, our soul, our body, our spirit, to the Lord in total surrender, that image of the burnt offering, totally to him for his pleasure, to be used as he wishes. That's worship. That's worship. So singing, that's wonderful. Praise, wonderful. Worship music, creating it or listening to it or singing along with it, wonderful. But that's a small piece of what worship is. Worship is really the ultimate issue of the universe is who will get the worship. As Tios and Sparks put it, who's going to get the worship? Who's going to get your life? Who's going to get your surrendered will? And um, that's either going to be Jesus Christ or it's going to be his enemy. And so thy kingdom come is really all about offering our whole lives to the Lord in worship. 
to worship's huge. I mean, it's, from that perspective, it's the central theme of the Bible. Who will get the authority? Who will get the worship? Who has the authority and who will get the worship? Right. Yeah, I think, I think we really have to challenge ourselves in, the, in this current time period to go way beyond lifting my hand. Who am I lifting my hands to in singing? It's like Paul said, my literal body, my life being laid down on behalf of another and who is that other and yeah we're talking about the very laying down of our lives uh, both metaphorically and I mean Paul's writing to people who are going to become human torches that's right in the gardens of Nero so they are literally going to live out this verse with their actual bodies so Paul's being literal I don't know if he realized that at the moment he wrote it but that came into a literal passing and it certainly did for Paul too uh, at some point but long before you get to that place there's a whole there's a whole nother laying down of your of your bodily life on behalf of the Lord as an act of worship in one of the previous podcasts that I did with you I mentioned some friends of mine who have been essentially trapped in Guatemala for two years per the instruction of the Lord to go there and do something which then in turn trapped them there um, they are living out Romans 12 1 and 2 mm. they're literally confined mm. it's not a Pauline type of imprisonment but it is an imprisonment mm. um, and you don't have to be in a third world jail cell to experience Romans 12 1 and 2 you can experience that right here in the United States and a place where there's a lot of freedom you you can have a confinement of You're the right. Lord a bodily confinement some type of restriction that affects what you would like to do as opposed to what you are currently able to do so that to me is got to be the base of our worship and all of the other types of worship that we're more familiar with flow out of that yes. place Amen. of giving That's up your good. life the second part of the question i would also appreciate insight on the role of creative expression in the kingdom and i don't really fully understand what this person is asking except to say that creativity is in the dna of god he is the creator and all creativity all art for example is an attempt to connect with the creative aspect and impulses of God himself. Even unbelievers who are creating art, whether it's music or movies or paintings, when the art is good, they're tapping into the artistic nature of Jesus himself, who, according to Colossians and other passages, he's the one who created everything. Hmm. So therefore, his imprint is in everything. So the most beautiful things in the world that you observe in nature are reflections of Christ in some way, depicting his beauty in some way. And so you can take an artist who's creating, say, a movie. And if the artist is tapping into true beauty, you will be able to see spiritual parallels in that movie or that piece of music or that painting. You will be able to see spiritual truths in it, even though the writers are not Christian even though they're not taking the narratives from the Bible, it's still going to be there. Right. And I could list off many different movies that were created by non-Christians 
they didn't have the biblical narrative in mind and yet you watch it as a christian who knows the scripture and you're like oh wow look at this parallel here look at that parallel yeah, right. having said that christians god's people those who follow jesus and have jesus living in them should be the most creative people on the planet because we have access to the great creator mm -hmm. and yet when we look at the movies that christians produce by and large <laughs> I'm not even going to finish the sentence. I'm just saying we should be leading in the area of creativity. And I do think there's a, there is a dynamic that's at work and that we often, we meaning God's people, we yeah. often take our cues from the world and we often take our cues from other Christians. And what that does is it limits our scope so that we're not unleashed to be as creative as the Lord would like us to or as we can be. So there needs to be a, a breaking loose of some sort so that we can tap into the, the creativity of the creator mm -hmm. himself. Yeah. You and I have lived in several different Christian communities and had some overlap in one where um, there was just, you know, at times mind-blowing mm -hmm. creativity expressed. Absolutely. And not, not just for creativity's sake, it was literally permitting Jesus to give a vent, a venting and an expression of himself mm. through his body. And that's really what the creativity is all about. What's the word I'm looking for? Not the goal, but, well, yeah, maybe the goal is that Christ may be seen in all, through all. And one of the ways that that fullness happens is by us believers tapping into creative ways to express the living Lord that's within each one of us. And that is literally endless mm -hmm. in terms of what its variety could look like. Frank and I could sit here easily for the next two hours mm -hmm. and share with you some very specific stories of how we uh, witnessed and participated in at times um, some of the most beautiful and mind-blowing creative artistic beautiful spiritually deep expressions of Christ that probably either one of us has seen mm -hmm. things that impacted us more profoundly than the greatest sermons or messages that we could hear mm -hmm. um, because it was literally yes. an incarnating of Christ in a very powerful creative way yeah it reminds me of the phrase you know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him mm -hmm. from Colossians yeah. and yeah. then the other passage the unsearchable the unfathomable yeah. riches the of inexhaustible Christ. yeah exactly and when we talk about creativity, we're talking about giving expression to those riches and to those glories and to those treasures, making them visible in some way. I just want to add a little tip here. If you ever are in a conversation with an artist of any kind who is not a believer, a good way to open up a conversation about the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom with them, is to talk about this issue of beauty and glory and wonder being in God himself, particularly in Jesus. And that what the artist is really doing at a subconscious level is trying to tap into that beauty, mm. that glory, yeah. that treasure, trying to 
to manifest something of its essence, but they don't know who it is that they're seeking yeah. to manifest. Yeah. But we know him, and to be able to speak to them on that level, you know, is is a good way to unlock the door of the beautiful gospel that we bring. You know, and it's no accident that Paul quoting Isaiah talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings because the gospel itself is beautiful. The kingdom is beautiful. It's it's a work of art in itself. And the way Jesus operates in his kingdom, you know, when you're living in his kingdom and you're living by kingdom values, we talked about the practical lessons of living kingdom life, the letting go, the surrender, and then at the same time, the paradoxical hanging on and holding on, being detached, fully yielding to him. It opens the door for Jesus to roll up his sleeves and act as the great artist as he is and pull off things that just blow our minds and, and mm-hmm. bewilder us that how in the world did you do that, Lord? What was hopeless now is not only hopeful, but it's a reality. You know what I mean? And so that's all woven into this issue of kingdom creativity. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to take this passage that this listener has written about in Ephesians 5.19 and make sure you lift it up and out of exclusively out of a meeting context. I mean, certainly all of that applies to the gathering of the body of Christ, but it also equally applies to the life of the community of Christ. These aren't things that just can be done in meetings. You can speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs outside of meetings. Um, How about over a meal? We've watched that happen. Sure. Spontaneously over over breakfast or lunch and spontaneously Mm -hmm. we turn into a song sometimes in public places. Sometimes in public places. Uh, Occasionally, Frank and I in the past were more itinerant in our ministry and there would be times where I would arrive at a certain location on the planet to be greeted by a bunch of saints at the airport singing a song to me as I'm disembarking from the the airplane. It was before 9-11 when you could actually get all the way into the airport, but sometimes it was outside the airport after 9-11. I can't explain to you what that did to to me internally to mm-hmm. be greeted that way when arriving somewhere. Or uh, I remember one time going through a fairly rough stretch. I woke up for every day for about a week to um, some encouraging words being put in my mailbox mm. for me. Um, or post-it notes on my car when I got out to to my car to go to work in the morning. Mm. It's endless, you know. Mm. It is endless what can happen. And if you're like me, creatively challenged, um, you know, you can link up arms with brothers and sisters who might have a little more creativity than you, um, who might be a little more extroverted than you if you're if you're a bit introverted, maybe a bit shy about putting yourself out there on that level, and do these things with someone else or with a couple someone else's um, to extend, you know, towards someone. But, you know, these are what we're talking about here are some of the secrets of, of how our brothers and sisters in the first century persevered and endured and thrived in their spiritual life in the midst of really untenable circumstances. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and it's not, yeah. there's not one great secret. There's all these little things of care and creative care going on and beauty mm-hmm. and expression and 
things that once they manifest, you know, are, are just absolutely divine in origin and that you can trace this right back to the very heart of God the Father himself, that these things are all emanating from him as he moves through his people. Mm. Um, and you're on the receiving end of that, or if you're in the giving end of that, it's just incredibly powerful to be in either position of receiving or, or giving these things when they are truly an expression mm. of the divine care and love and so multifaceted in so many ways. Yeah, we're talking about life in the kingdom of God. We're talking about what life can be and has been in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God just operates so differently from the way it operates in fallen civilization, you know, yeah. in the world system. You don't have that kind of love and care and thoughtfulness and creativity that is focused on benefiting others at the expense of oneself. In the world, the creativity is focused on benefiting the artist, benefiting the person who's doing the creating. And oftentimes, the artwork, whatever the piece of art is, whether it's cinema or music or painting or sculptures, is distorted and perverted. And it doesn't reflect the image of the creator, right? There's That's a self-expression self or a self-actualization attempted through that type of art. Right. And what's being reflected then is that of the, the fallen nature, the flesh. And so again, it just underscores the beauty and the power of life in the kingdom of God. Well, I think we'll end here. We have a lot more questions to answer. So we'll do that in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the Insurgents has begun. Don't miss it.